0: This is the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames, brought to you by Special Needs Family Hour, Inc. For the next hour, we'll be discussing the particular challenges and real-life solutions for families with special needs. If you found us, please know that you are not alone. To find out more, go to SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. Now, here is your host, Julie Ames, on AM860, The Answer.
1: Thanks for listening today to the Special Needs Family Hour. I'm Julie Ames on AM 860, The Answer. Our show is dedicated to helping those parents and caregivers who are caring for special people. The theme of the show is the essay, Welcome to Holland, by Emily Pearl Kingsley. Kingsley describes the experience of raising a child with a disability. It's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy, only to realize that your plane has landed in Holland. Holland isn't a bad place. It's just a different place. So, you must go out, buy a new guidebook, learn a whole new language, and meet a whole new group of people you would never have met. Holland is a code word for living life with those with disabilities. My hope and prayer is that the challenges we all face in Holland will make us better people. It has been an interesting time for us in Holland. Our oldest two daughters, Maria and Christina, are on the autism spectrum and have intellectual disabilities. Our youngest daughter, Anna, is a typical teenager. Maria has graduated from her transition program. This is a time when, figuratively, if not literally, The school bus stops coming to the house. This is what many parents with a child with special needs calls falling off the cliff. This means that your child no longer has anywhere to go and is now at home full time. It has been quite a transition for us, but we have decided to be proactive and positive. We are helping Maria to continue to grow intellectually and socially with her various activities. Maria is actually enjoying reading more being out of school than when she was in school and we continue to practice our vocabulary words, and we're always checking out new books from the library. And, of course, our favorite is the Magic Treehouse books, and she has to read all of Annie's parts, the main character, when we read the books together. I now call Maria my assistant when we are running errands, and Maria is also working with vocational rehab. And we are so excited because she just was hired by Airmark, and she is so proud of herself and just Beaming as she tells Grammy, her father, everyone about her new job. Our hope is that our children will have a contented life. And there's the old saying, you're only as happy as your least happy child. Today we have a great show. We have Alan Geezy, founding partner and president of North Star Financial Planners, and author of When Mental Illness Strikes Crisis Intervention for the Financial Plan. We will discuss creating a financial plan for families with special needs particularly mental illness. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Please stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM 860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames.
1: I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Today, we have Alan Giese, founding partner and president of North Star Financial Planners and author of When Mental Illness Strikes, Crisis Intervention for the Financial Plan. Hi, Ellen. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a financial planner concentrating on helping families with special needs.
2: Um, Well, hi, Julie. Yeah, it's such an honor to be on your show. And let me just say it's uh, just such a wonderful thing that you are doing for everybody who is within earshot, you know, of this signal.
1: Well, I really enjoyed reading your book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm thrilled to have you, but can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in financial planning and helping those with a child with mental illness?
2: Sure. Yeah. Um, Long story short, uh, my mother is the one who really... uh, Pointed me in the direction of uh, being a financial planner, and it's always been something that uh, you know the the planning aspect and math and business as well has always been something that uh, you know intrigued me and, and I felt very comfortable doing. And so you know I came up through the financial planning ranks uh, more on the insurance side of the world, and uh, I was I was selling insurance policies, disability policies, life insurance, and doing financial planning that I was taught how to do there. And then eventually got to the point where I didn't feel like I was really serving my clients to the highest possible level uh, by basically selling them products. And so I went off and started my own firm as a as an uh, independent fee-only financial planner uh, with the intent of really just providing my clients the very best answers. And then if it involved product, then we would figure out how to get them the product later on. Right. Um, so we are a fee only, you know, financial planning uh, firm, and I'm a fee only financial planner. And then, um, well, I remember the day that it actually. My, my son, of course, is is special needs, um, right? And uh, he has schizophrenia. And um, I remember the particular day that it it sort of hit me all like a ton of bricks, but kind of like in slow motion, where um, I was sitting here in my office working on a particular client's uh, retirement plan. And this client was, he was just like me. I mean, he had the same age, same economic profile, um, two kids, just like I have two kids. And so I'm really paying attention to, you know, to his numbers, thinking like, well, these are my numbers, you know, I got to really, you know, focus on this. And then it hit me, it's like, well, wait a minute, there's one thing that's really different here, and that's that he doesn't have a son back at home that, that has schizophrenia. And that's, that's a pretty big difference because, because that means that, well, where his retirement plan was for two people, my retirement plan wasn't for two people. It's for, it's for three people. Yes. You we know, have one of them special needs and, and, you know, the whole generation younger. So it has got the whole time element and, you know, has a life expectancy that, well, we certainly hope it's full and, then we start I start realizing well and it's a very it's a moving target you right. know is it going to get better is it going to get worse uh so how do you plan for that and it started becoming you know I started to sweat a little bit you know right. and and then I started to think of other aspects started to, this is where the slow motion aspect is so sort of cascaded down on me where I started thinking about well what about like his SSI benefits like how do I make sure that that never gets cut off right. and how do we Pass our stuff on to him eventually so that he can use it to the highest level that he can. How do I make sure that he keeps his Medicaid so that the Medicaid funded treatment program that he's in, you know, he, he never loses that? Right. And then it's then the sort of the final question, the, the big one hit me, and that was who's going to take care of him, yes. you know, when I'm gone? When, when we're gone, who, who is going to take care of him and how's that going to work? And yes. that's when we sort of realized that, okay, this this is this is something we have to focus on uh, in our lives, and as well as in, in our financial planning life here, in, in, you know, as, as financial planners, because people were coming up to me. We're, we're very involved in uh, local NAMI and uh,
1: explain to our audience what NAMI is. Oh, yeah, of
2: course. Yeah, NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And uh, it's sort of a grassroots uh, effort to educate the public on um, what mental illness is all about and, right. you know, how to, um, you know, what's going on, you know, with somebody who's in crisis. And, and um, it's tremendous level of education that's available through NAMI and support groups and, and peer groups and things like that. Yes. So uh, we're, we're fairly well known in, in the in the circles, and so people, you know, put that together with the fact that I have a financial planning firm, and so they were asking me questions about, you know, their kids and how they can solve these same uh, huge questions that I was coming up with on, on my own case. And so we became very focused on special needs planning just for that reason, because of our own.
1: Right, right. Well, it's amazing because all my friends, I mean, we all talk about what happens when we're gone because, you know, what does happen to the kids? And I know the whole, and we're going to discuss this, but navigating SSI and Medicaid, there's so many things that normally you don't think about because my husband and I, my husband was already doing financial planning, like meeting with a financial planner before we got married. And we had our financial plan. We had everything planned. And then... <laughs> I, you know we have two out of three kids with special needs, so we're planning for four retirements all of a sudden,
2: yeah, yeah. and with with mental illness, especially it it's very unique because, well, like in our case, which I think is pretty classic, yes. uh, our kids were fine. There was no issues at all. We were getting ready for colleges. We were doing the college tours for him,
1: right. And Cause he know, was a we, junior, we, right? At the time, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Well, it, well he, really his first crisis was was his senior year.
1: Okay,
2: but you know, it, it just manifests itself over years. So you could, you know, at any point in high school, if we had known better, we probably should have done something differently. But right, you but- know, his first emotional break was was. Uh, uh, halfway through his senior year, but it hit us—you know—at a point in our lives when we're really focusing on uh, putting our own retirement plan in the hyperdrive, right. uh, you know, getting the kids, you know, out of you know and, and on their own, and suddenly you, you, your whole life changes. Yes. Um, it almost every parent I talk to, it's it's a similar scenario, whether their kid is diagnosed at 18 or 22 or right. 28 or even 30.
1: Well, it's the expense. And, and please explain that because it's one thing as a special needs parent, especially early on, you you always have extra expenses because of your child with special needs. But with, with mental illness, it does usually manifest itself in the late teens, early 20s, and I have a good friend. She was a mechanical engineer when we were roommates in college, and she would work for DuPont on her quarters off from college, and she ended up being diagnosed with bipolar, but that was after college, and there was no evidence of that when we were roommates.
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, my guess is she was probably doing a wonderful job of of concealing and hiding, Interesting. you know, a lot of it cuz in our son's case uh he he you, you knew there was anxiety there and right. it was developing over those you know high school years uh and he was looking for ways to deal with it and you know didn't know what it was or what was going on and yes. we just sort of thought well he's just becoming painfully shy what's going on with this very outgoing kid
1: right and yeah. Well, what would you have done differently? That's such a hard one because I even look back at my kids, and I never do it in a judgmental way with myself. I mean, it can be when Christina has a seizure, you know, or whatever. I'm at the hospital, whether I I always go through. Okay, what could I've done differently? Logically, never in judgment. But when you say that you could have done something differently, what would that be? I mean,
2: therapy. I would be getting uh, yes. uh, them in front of a psychologist uh, yes. early and often.
1: Yes. Now in your book you mentioned a correlation and I just want to bring it up because everyone's so pro marijuana and I am not against it. I'm open to it if it would if it would take away Christina's seizures and that kind of thing. And I have a friend that heads up a group called No Pot and and um her son got hooked on opioids opioids. But with marijuana there and you can look it up on the internet, I'm not gonna reference anything, but there is a connection between marijuana and and schizophrenia. And I do have friends that their son, he, he did the marijuana and he ended up being schizophrenic. So is that a complete correlation? And right now that's just anecdotal, but look it up on the internet.
2: Yeah, there's, uh, and I have read studies that have linked uh, marijuana use to uh, triggering, where uh, there was a fascinating study that comes to mind where uh, it involved uh, identical twins, where one identical twin uh, was diagnosed as schizophrenic and the other was not. Interesting. So, you know, clearly they have the same genes, but what triggered, you know, so, so there's environmental triggers, they believe that, uh, you know, will... will will manifest the disease where, you know, the other identical twin that has the same, same genetic makeup, genetic makeup has, uh, you know, is, is not, um, is, doesn't have the disease.
1: Right, right.
2: And okay. so, yeah, marijuana, they feel, might be one of those triggers.
1: Okay, it could be. And then as far as financial, like you explained that it took you months to actually get a diagnosis. Actually, it took you a few years to get a diagnosis for your son, Correct.
2: Yes, and as typical, uh, especially with schizophrenia, the diagnosis changes as time develops because it starts off sort of being like, uh, you know, schizoaffective disorder, right. uh, which is sort of like schizophrenia light, maybe. That's how I think of it. Yes. Uh, I probably just made a whole bunch of psychologists cringe out there. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, right. Yeah. But, and then, you know, when you finally get the full-blown diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia, um, it's like, okay, well, there's no question here.
1: Right, right. Well, on that note, why don't we take a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about um, working with people and families dealing with mental illness. I'm Julie Ames and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860. The answer, our guest is Alan Geezy, the author of When Mental Illness Strikes. We are discussing creating a financial plan for families with special needs, particularly mental illness. Please stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames.
1: I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. I am here with Alan Geezy, founding partner and president of North Star Financial Planners and the author of When Mental Illness Strikes, Crisis Intervention for the Financial Plan. We are discussing creating a financial plan for families with special needs, particularly mental illness. Now, Alan, parents with a mentally ill child, they often struggle financially, but we were discussing on the break about that sometimes they become desperate and explain that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I just see this over and over again because, you know, the the child's had a psychotic break, for example, and they've been in crisis. And it's a horrifying event, and you never want to see them go through that again, and so you start searching for a fix and that's what we do We, 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 we look to fix ills right yes, and, and so they become desperate and, and like in our own case, for example, we heard about a uh, um, a therapist up in Vancouver who um, worked with adolescents uh, with uh, you know, that were in the mental illness. Uh, having mental illness issues and uh we we basically dropped everything flew to vancouver um did whatever it took to get in front of this doctor spent the day with her and at the end of the, at the end, long story short it, it didn't help not nothing mm. helped <laughs> right but we spent thousands and thousands of dollars right. you know seeking this kind of treatment and i hear stories like this all the time yes of uh and then there's of course there's you know um you put if we could put our son into a place where, you know, he could have you know twenty four seven care, you know, and therapy, and all, and, and these places cost twenty thirty thousand dollars a right. month. Right.
1: Yeah. And
2: who? And yeah. And and so often, you know, we don't see any any result at the end that was beneficial. Right. Uh, Right. Yeah, so we get a little desperate.
1: Well, explain to why, you like. Why doesn't traditional financial planning apply when there's severe mental illness involved?
2: Well, the problem I equate it a to lot to um, to crisis intervention team training that police officers get. Right. So, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't familiar with CIT trained officers who are trained to uh, understand what is happening to a person who's in crisis right. uh, and, and you, you treat them differently. You don't reach out and grab them. You don't touch them. You don't, you, you, you let them work through their anxiety. Uh, and tradi- where traditional policing typically escalates conflict, um, we know that that doesn't work for somebody who's in crisis. Right. Would you have a family who is uh, you know, dealing with uh, a serious mental illness and having to deal with these other aspects of financial planning, like guarding their SSI benefits and Medicaid benefits right. uh, and making sure that, you know, they don't have too much you know, cash on hand in the child's name, that kind of stuff. Right. Traditional financial planning, which is transactionally based because most financial planners are, are, are um, compensated based on selling something. Right. And in this world, more often than not, it doesn't mean the sale of some sort of a product or investment. It means financial counseling. It means understanding, you know, how the rules work and maybe shifting money into, into you know, different types of accounts, but not selling new kinds of product. And so we see so often where a traditional financial planner is eager to sell a life insurance policy right. or an annuity that it's just not helping the situation, in some cases making it worse.
1: Right. Well, what about your book, one thing I will say is I I like the fact that as you were trained by a sales company to sell things and you kept reading academic papers, and you mentioned they were some were Nobel Prize winners who really weren't trying to make money, they were just going through sound theory, you realized that you were better off not selling products and selling yeah. financial planning. So I that's I wanted to make sure the audience understood that perspective. In other words, there's lots of people out there selling them, and, I mean, we've gotten rid of financial planners because of that <laughs> at different yeah. times. And it's true, fee-only financial planning, it sounds more expensive, but it's based on a percent of what you're doing. But let's continue on. Um, there's a, There's really a stigma around mental illness, and I guess you have found that, you see that hurting a family's finances because of the stigma. Explain that.
2: Yeah. And so I did a study where I just talked to as many people as I could. I talked to providers. I talked to parents. I talked to uh, like the uh, leaders of mental health organizations to find out, you know, what were the biggest Problems and concerns that people were having and i and one of the things I discovered on that study was that the stigma that surrounds uh, serious mental illness uh, affects especially the more affluent people which I found somewhat surprising uh, yes. from actually seeking advice uh, they didn't want to disclose to uh, their financial planner that uh, you know they have a son or daughter with a serious mental illness and they and they in in You know, in in further probing, we found that it wasn't necessarily they didn't really just want to disclose it. It's just that they didn't feel that the financial planner had the ability to understand what that meant.
1: Right. Right.
2: And how, what the ramifications of that were, because they couldn't, they just couldn't relate to it.
1: Yes. Well, it's interesting because even for wealthy individuals, you explain that it's important to have government benefits um, for their child. So can you explain that part?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know again I'll use my own case as a case in point where uh, my son is in a wonderful uh, Medicaid funded treatment program now where he has a therapist that comes to the house uh, at least once a week sometimes a couple times a week and and sits and talks with him and and uh, he, he you know his psychiatrist is linked to this program so that's where he gets his meds and, uh, you know, they have uh, a number of different programs that he can participate in, but it's all run through Medicaid. So if he right. didn't qualify for SSI, which would then in Florida that qualifies you for Medicaid, right. um, this program would be out of bounds for him. So it wouldn't matter how much money we had, he would not be in this program, which to us is is a real difference maker.
1: Right. It sounds like it's a lifesaver, kind of.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yes. He's been...
1: Yeah. Well, what's important for people to know, and you you make this distinction in your book, is that SSI and SSDI in Florida automatically allow a person to be on Medicaid. And other states, if someone's listening to the podcast, um, you need to do your research because you might have to do extra paperwork to make sure that your child has Medicaid.
2: Yeah, it's a or Medicare, but right. uh, yeah, there's a it's memory searching. Me, right, last time I looked, this number up, it was about twelve or thirteen states that you have to be careful about that you may have to file a separate application in.
1: Okay, now what what type of factors could eliminate a government benefits like your son's? Current? Well,
2: primarily it's an asset based test. So if, if uh, my son were to have more than two thousand dollars in his account, uh, in his checking account, uh, which is the only account he has. Um, that's, that's sort of the big no, no, you know, if you right. go above that number, then SSI gets cut off and, and he loses his benefits. Right. Uh, so that's, that's pretty important. Right. And, um, and he, you know, he's allowed to have a car and you are allowed to have a home, uh, if, you know, and still receive SSI cause they figure you at least should have a roof over your head. Right.
1: Right. Right. Well, and what do you mean? Like you talk about having a, syst- a systematic plan. Can you explain that to our listeners?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. And this sort of goes back to the traditional financial planners or, or traditional financial advisors really, who are really focused on selling investment product right and that they they kind of miss the fact that there 's a whole additional world of financial planning that needs to be addressed, and we break it into four different parts we we focus on wealth enhancement ideas on first, and that 's how to uh, have a family get more out of. What they've already got? How do you increase cash flows or decrease debt costs or mitigate taxes on a you know better level? Right. Uh, then, yeah, and then we we talk about wealth transfer concepts. So, and that's obviously a huge concern with with families that uh, you know have been struck by a serious mental illness, is how do we efficiently pass assets so that you know, our son or daughter who has a serious mental illness, as well as maybe our other sons or daughters that don't, uh, are able to use those assets, you know, to their highest level uh, for them.
1: Yes. What's equitable.
2: Right. And so, you know, that's where, uh, obviously, you know, we start talking about ABLE accounts and special needs trusts. And um, we also talk about, uh, wealth protection technique. So, you know, what if uh, your son or daughter were to, um, you know, become a target of, of, you know, a predator out there? You know, we want to make sure we've protected wealth properly. And what if you you know, you end up uh, being subject of a lawsuit? Uh, so, right. you know, it's, it's protecting your assets. And then the the fourth and final area we, we focus in on is, is charitable giving and uh, how to use, uh, any charitable inclinations that a client has to potentially help in some of these other areas as well.
1: Well, I liked what you said about charitable giving. Is is it it kind of changes um, your perspective when you realize that you're uh, that you're having to spend so much money on this child's future that you're not sure what it's going to entail.
2: That's true, and yeah, it, it does. It does change people's and families' perspectives on charitable planning.
1: Yes, ways. it does. It does. Um, why don't we take a break? And when we come back, let's get into some of those details to help our listeners with their financial planning. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860 The Answer. Our guest is Alan Geesey the author of When Mental Illness Strikes. We're discussing creating a financial plan for families with special needs, particularly mental illness. Please stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM 860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm
1: Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. I am here with Alan Geezy, founding partner and president of North Star Financial Planners and the author of When Mental Illness Strikes, Crisis Intervention for the Financial Plan. We are discussing creating a financial plan for families with special needs, particularly mental illness. Now, Alan, we had just started to talk about um, able trusts. Can you explain to special needs parents what able trusts are?
2: Well, they're or able they're accounts. Able accounts, yes. They're special accounts that were they were legislated in fairly recently, so not a whole lot of people are familiar with them still, but uh, they're becoming very popular very quickly. So they they, uh, they were legislated in like in December of 2014, and so in 2015 we saw a few states start picking them up and saying, right. okay, we'll do this. And they're, they're basically using the state's 529 college plan and think of that as sort of as being the chassis. But right. what an ABLE account allows uh, a, a, a saver to do is put up to, uh, and I'll say it's $100,000 because that's the Social Security limit, uh, up to $100,000 into the, the ABLE account and still qualify for their SSI and Medicaid. Uh, So it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it it breaks the rule, in other words, of, you know, having the $2,000 asset level uh, test.
1: Right. Now explain to people what they can, their child can spend that on.
2: Well, you can spend it on anything as long as it, it uh, is, is for the benefit of the beneficiary. And the list is, is it's as long as your arm. Um, uh, you know, it, just about anything you can think of that is to the benefit of the beneficiary. So it could be housing. Uh, it could certainly be transportation, uh, education, uh, um, you, know, you know, job training, uh, food. Uh, it...
1: Every, a pet, a comfort pet.
2: Uh, comfort pet? Yes, absolutely. Okay. That would uh, that would. I'm pretty sure that would fall in. <laughs> I haven't seen that one on the list, but I, you know, I'll bet you if I looked it up, it'd be there.
1: Right, right. Okay. Now, how is that different from the special needs trust?
2: Well. There, there, there's a, a bunch of differences. One, a special needs trust, uh, like the first thing that hits me, is that a special needs trust uh, has no maximum limit. And there's a couple different types of special needs trust, and that's important to know as well. And so I'm going to compare what's called a first-party special needs trust to an ABLE account because they're, okay. they they are somewhat the same because of one feature. They both have what's called a Medicaid payback provision. So uh, with an able able account uh if the beneficiary were to die and there 's money still in the able account but let 's say my son had a ten thousand dollar able account right. and he died, that ten thousand dollars would end up going to the state because it would it 's going to pay back whatever the state has spent on him in Medicaid costs, which is certainly well in excess of ten thousand dollars right so the um, A first party special needs trust, which is funded with the beneficiary's own assets, um, that also has a Medicaid payback provision. So there's this other kind of special needs trust called a third party special needs trust that's funded by assets from somebody else. So let's say, for example, that um, my mom wants to give my son or her grandson uh, a significant amount of money. Um, Maybe even more than what we would put into an able account, right? Regardless of the amount, I'd probably still want to put it into a third-party special needs trust because I would avoid the Medicaid payback provision in right. that way. Yeah, and, and and the money's coming from a third party, so it's not his money, but it would be the trust money, and then the trust would be used to uh, you know benefit my son in any way. It, basically, the the idea would be to supplement uh, my son's lifestyle.
1: Right now, here's the thing: is special needs trusts, and I, I always worry that when people listen to financial planning, um, there are people out there that are going to say, "Well, that's not for me. That's just for someone who's affluent." But let's say you have a house, and your house has equity in it, and you die, and there's that's money that you could put in a special needs trust for your child. Like you put, you could put the whole house in a special needs trust. It's just a legal document.
2: Yeah. And uh, you'll, you'll find with some attorneys that there's some reasons they won't want to put a house into a trust, but another benefit of the trust that's similar to, or that you might want to consider in that scenario is what if there's more than one uh, child? Correct. So, you know, a trust would have the ability to, you know, split assets up better. Um, So, yeah, it, 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 you don't, it doesn't require affluence to need a trust. Right. Um, There's, there's. A lot of reasons that people would want to proceed with a trust, if even if they don't have you know a couple million dollars.
1: Right, because I always look at like when I look at affordable housing, like the place was just built. The rent there is four hundred and thirty three dollars. So if a child's getting SSI, let's say maximum SSI is seven fifty, and they're spending that much on housing, so they have a little bit left. But you look at. If you had let's say you had fifty thousand dollars or twenty five thousand dollars equity in your home, if you have a special needs trust and you know that that money will be there to help right. your child, even if it's just a little bit it doesn't sure. in that commu- in that type of community it doesn't take that much more for your child to be able to take the bus to Walmart with their friends. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. or to go to the zoo for the day, or whatever. And I sometimes I just don't feel like people are looking at that as, aspect of it.
2: That, that's an excellent point, Julie. And that you know, when I think it would, when when I think in terms of like fifty thousand dollars, for example, of an equity in a home, to me that equates to two hundred dollars a month of lifetime income for somebody. Right. And that two hundred dollars a month can make a big difference in their life. Yes. So, you know, it's not a huge amount of money, but you would definitely want to have that in some sort of a trust.
1: Right. Now, with your financial planning, you you look at the whole picture, but you also talk about self-care, recommendations for parents, dealing with challenges, yeah. and explain kind of how how that fits in.
2: Sure, yeah. You know, so my wife one day, was when I was writing the book, she said, you know, you really should include something about... You know, taking care of the caregiver and the parent. Right. Because, you know, we're no good to them if we're not here. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, you know, we look at so many of our friends who are going through this, and, and the divorce rates are sky high. Right. Uh, it, it's tough on marriages, it's, um, it's tough on us physically. Right. And so you really need to to take it seriously and look for those respite opportunities. So, like in our case, I remember him getting Baker acted once. Uh, he was going through crisis, and and so there was no, no other recourse. And so this was probably the fifth time we were at the same hospital. And then, you know, we, we kind of had, we were on a first-name basis with the nurses. Right, <laughs> and, right. And it was coming up on a weekend, and we kind of said to them, listen, we we need to get away for a few days. Wink, right. Wink, if you guys can connect, you know, to yeah. keep him here for a few extra days, that would really be wonderful for both of us, you know, us right. as well as him. Right. So, yeah, just look for those opportunities. We found that having, um, through our, our faith organization, um, you know, a support group uh, just has become extremely meaningful to us. Uh, just having that, you know, and talking to other people, like in support groups in, in uh, again, NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness, and MHA, they, they both offer support groups for parents.
1: Right. Well, it's it's so nice not to have to explain things. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you when know it, that when it,
2: everybody gets it.
1: Yes, yes. When someone's explaining what their kid did or or their OCD or whatever, it's just nice because you know that they know that they know type thing.
2: Yeah. Sometimes it's just, yeah. Being right. able to laugh about something with other people,
1: even. Yes. Well, hey, let's take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll continue our conversation. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860 The Answer. Our guest is Alan Geesey, the author of When Mental Illness Strikes. We're discussing creating a financial plan for families with special needs. Please stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames.
1: I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. I am here with Alan Geezy, founding partner and president of North Star Financial Planners, and the author of When Mental Illness Strikes Crisis Intervention for the Financial Plan. We are discussing creating a financial plan for families with special needs, particularly mental illness. Now, Alan, what should parents look for in a financial planner?
2: Um, you know, I think. Whatever it is that they're, they're dealing with in their life, I think they need, a finan- they need a financial planner that has empathy. They need a financial planner that has a deep level understanding of what it is that they're going through. So, you know, in our world, it's, you know, serious mental illness. And right. it's unique and it, um, you know, it, it, it makes us different. And not a lot of people understand it. So having that as a, you know, a financial planner that understands serious mental illness uh, sort of, I feel, gives us a, a, a different level of understanding. Beyond that, you know, I, I think the next most important thing really is that they are are, are fee only, that right. they're not a fee-based or a commission-based, um, you know, sales representative of a you know major financial institution because otherwise there's going to be a bias there to sell some sort of a product. Right. And this is not a place where product sales is. This is not about
1: product sales. Right. So what kind of questions should parents ask a potential financial advisor?
2: You want to find out right away if they have a a, a process, a firm process that is designed to cover all the bases uh, and ask them what their process is and ask them if they Help them beyond just investments, and how do they help them beyond just investments? Uh, do they work with specialists out there? Um, you mm. know, do they have relationships with uh, attorneys that have experience doing, like in our world, special needs trusts? Right. Um, you know, do they have you know good relationships with specialists out there? And you know, the, I think the best question you can ask somebody really is. Is why are you a financial advisor? Why did you pick this field, and and why are you doing what it is that you do? Right. And this is where your gut's going to going to prevail, and just listen to them. And if it's a awesome story, you've probably found a winner.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's it's been interesting over the last thirty years in dealing with different people with financial backgrounds and and their perspective and where they're coming from. mm Hmm. So yep. to, to the guy who's trying to sell you insurance anytime you talk to him. <laughs> well,
2: I'll be honest with you. I was that guy when I started my career 28 years ago.
1: Yes, I read that.
2: We're all that guy. You know, right. at, at at you know, when we I didn't know any better. But right. then as I learned and start to understand and then life has its own experiences on you, then you realize it becomes a calling at some point.
1: Yeah. Well, if he only financial planning was really something new in the marketplace over the last 34 years. That's true. And I think it's made a big difference in how all financial planners are dealing with people. Um, What words of hope do you have for parents who are struggling with these issues?
2: You know, the biggest struggle I think really is around the stigma issue. And I would just say, don't put your head in the sand. Uh, be out and 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 have the confidence to know that there are people out there that can help you but you have to expose yourself a little bit and uh, right yeah
1: uh, yeah well i remember in the book and you gave examples because there's examples of of families with means and different things that they do and then there are other families that've had to look at the financial play their financial picture and realize that Um, maybe we can't take this vacation or um, our child needs to be in the government program, that type of thing. Right.
2: There's hard choices that have to be made sometimes, but you know, there's so many people that walk into my office, they're in their sixties and their seventies and they haven't solved these problems yet. The big question of who's going to take care of my kid when I'm gone.
1: Yes. and
2: Finally, mortality is staring them in the face and now they feel like they they have to do this it's that's too late
1: right and until and if it, regardless of what decision you make, whatever decision is best for your family, it's better to know that now and and go ahead with life.
2: Mhm, Time is our ally, so if you know the more time we have to work on a problem. The better our solution's probably going to be. Things are you know, we don't have a whole lot of time, then you know, it's,
1: it's we don't hard. have a
2: whole lot of choices. Yes, well I've <laughs> yeah. had
1: I've I've talked to oh, I don't know, two or three people that have called the show and my, my number's given out. And I've I've talked to them and it's that situation where you're in your seventies and there is no one left in your family to help you and you don't know how you're going to afford it and what you're going to do. So I I do get those calls sometimes. Yep. And, you know, I point them in the right direction. And it's just amazing what people don't know, and they're doing the best they can. So it's never a judgment.
2: That's true. And and things are getting better, too. Uh, just on the awareness level, I think it's helping so much where, you know, people are understanding. I'm noticing just over the past half dozen years or so that the level of awareness is growing considerably. People are understanding what's going on with serious mental illness.
1: Well, hey, Alan, please tell our listeners how they can contact you. Sure.
2: Um, Probably the easiest way is through our website, which is uh, www.northstarplanners.com. There's an S on the end of that, so it's www.northstarplanners.com. And uh, they can always call us on the telephone. It's 954-693-0030. Again, that's 954-693-0030.
1: Yes, and how can they get your book?
2: Oh my book is available on Amazon. It's very easy to find. Just type in the search on Amazon for When Mental Illness Strikes and it will pop right up.
1: Well, I really I really enjoyed reading your book as and I enjoyed the beginning. I just enjoyed you explaining the manifestations, the things you saw, the things you didn't see. And 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 I think you really did a good job of relaying what parents go through and that desire and the willingness to spend all the money you have to fix a problem that sometimes isn't fixable, but it is controllable and there is a light at the tunnel. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for sharing what you've learned and the information you have. I'm Julie Ames and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860 The Answer. Please join us next Sunday afternoon at 1.
0: Thank you for listening to the Special Needs Family Hour. If you've missed any part of today's program, you can get the podcast of this and every show at SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. While there, please take advantage of the resources we've made available. And if you're so inclined, please support the advertisers that support this program. Special Needs Family Hour, Inc. is a nonprofit 501 501c3 organization. More than anything, just know that you are not alone. And we invite you to join us next Sunday at 1, only on AM 860. The Answer.